Turn with me then in 1 Corinthians to chapter 3, where we read earlier on. So New Year is a time to reset, it's a time to rethink, it's a time to re-engage, it's a time to put things down, some things down, and to pick other things up. It's a time to reevaluate, isn't it? It's a time to reassess our lives, what is important to us, what are the priorities of our lives? Some people join a gym, don't they? It's a big plug for gyms in January. 50% off and other things like that. People like to, they know that you've had a good time over Christmas mostly and it's time to to burn off a few pounds. Join the gym. Or maybe you take up a new hobby, learning a language, some other kind of interest or outlet. Maybe you're one of those people who on January the 1st sat down and started to read Genesis chapter 1. Like the other thousands of Christians who are also going to do a, a daily reading plan or the Bible in a year. To read the whole counsel of God from beginning to end. Maybe you're one of those. I'll encourage you to do that. I'm doing that myself too. But it's a good time to sit back and to refocus. Now when Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, he was writing to them because he wanted them to refocus. He wanted them to re-engage with what was truly important. You see, the church had been drifting. The church had been absorbing Human wisdom, it had been absorbing false teaching and it had affected its cohesiveness, its direction, its health, its vitality as a fellowship. It was beginning to destroy it from the inside. And Paul is bringing the primary truths of Jesus Christ and him crucified to the church, to try and bring them back, to try and reunite them, to try and draw them back to God and into his presence, and to make sure that the message of the gospel is central, that the main thing stays the main thing. Now, our church may not have a number of the issues that the Corinthians have. I didn't choose the letter because I thought we had them. I chose the letter because there's some helpful teaching here for our church, for every church. Things that can strengthen us, things that can ensure that we're keeping the main thing, the main thing, no matter what our circumstances are or challenges as a church. The key is having Christ at the centre. Key, core, as the foundation. That is where we move on from today. So... Don't forget the prayer card. Please pick one up at the back with a text that we have on it there. So here in chapter 3 in particular, Paul is speaking to the church. He's telling them to take care of the church. Don't be negligent. Don't be careless. Don't have infighting. Don't bite each other. He's saying build on the foundation The only foundation that needs to be laid in verse 10, Jesus Christ and him crucified, verse 11. Build on that foundation, the glory of that foundation. And the church has a blueprint 
It has a foundation, it has a structure, and it has a way to be built. And the way the church is built is through the building up of the saints, through the truth, through the word of God. And he goes on in verse 11, he says, build on the foundation, build this church as it were. You will be edified when you're built in the truth. Not the wood, hay and stubble of worldly thinking and ideas and practices. No, the pure, holy word of God is the means of growth for you as a fellowship. And it's the same for us today. The word of God. That takes us then to verse 16 and 17, which is really what I want to focus on this morning. Verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Paul says, don't you know? He says that ten times throughout this letter. Don't you know? Why does he do that? He does it because he wants to shake them out of a sense of complacency. He wants them to think, you know this, don't you know? I said this to you before when I was with you. Don't you know? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of God. And it's a great thing for us in New Year, just to reassess, to re-engage, to rethink, as it were, about this truth that Castlefields Church is a temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit dwells here amongst us. So I want to open up that text this morning, just to, as it were, to reset, to rethink what we do when we come to worship God and why we do it. And why Paul uses this analogy or tells us this truth about the temple of the living God, just so we can recover something in this new year. Well, there are three things I want to show you from this passage, from these verses 16 and 17. And the first is this, that the temple is for worship. The temple is for worship. Don't you know? I said this ten times that he brings that little message to them to get them to think, to rethink to reevaluate. Don't you know, one of the commentators says, there's almost a hint of sarcasm in this. Don't you know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? There's a massive temple in Corinth. It was the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Thousands of worshippers Sinful practices, maybe some in the church, have been involved in that in their, pri- in their prior lives, before they were converted. Well, Paul isn't speaking about that temple. He's talking about the church. He's talking about God's temple. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. He's here He's in every continent of the world. He sees everything that goes on. He sees into our hearts this morning. But there is a special presence in the gathered church. When the church comes to worship, when the church comes to praise and to glorify him, because we're a temple of God, corporately, together, 
God dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. So what is a temple for? When you just stand back and you reevaluate and you rethink, what is a temple for? A temple is for worship, isn't it? A temple is to worship. Worship is directed to God. The worship in the Old Testament was in the temple. The formal worship of God's people. And worship is directed to God. When we come before God, when we understand something of his word, when we understand something of his character, and his awesome holiness, his glory, his power, his majesty, his love and his grace in Jesus Christ. When the word of God is preached, we understand more and more in our minds and in our hearts. And we wonder who God is. That God is infinite and unchangeable and he is eternal. We wonder in the majesty and the glory of God. This God of boundless love and grace in Jesus Christ. When we come to worship together on a Sunday, we come to offer praise. We confess our sins. We hear his word preached. We draw near to him in prayer. He draws near to us by the Spirit. We worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And worship is a response to God's character, to God's love, to God's grace. And it's a response to the blessings that we have in the gospel. It's a response of love. It's a response of gratitude. It's a response of praise. It can be a response of repentance. As we recognize the holiness of God. And our own sin. And uncleanness. But we draw near to him. James 4 verses 8 to 10. We ascribe glory to his name. As it says in Psalm 29. We come into his presence. We kneel and bow down. Psalm 95. We come before him with joyful songs. Psalm 100. And praise and worship. In the presence of God. So in this new year, let's just reset our thinking. Why are we here this morning? We're here to worship God. We are a temple of God. It was God's purpose from the beginning. The writers of the Westminster Shorter Catechism got it right when they said, what is our primary purpose? Our primary purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's why he's made you. That's why he's made me. That's why he saved us. That he might make us into a temple of God, indwelt by the Spirit, that we might worship him. God loves to meet with his people. We read that throughout the Scriptures. He's not an abstract God who is aloof and afar off. No, he's a God who comes near. He's a God who is holy, yet he's a God who has to come near through the blood of a sacrifice. He wants to show us his glory. He wants to show us his power. He wants to show us his heart. He wants to show us his love. As we read of him. In the scriptures. Let's refresh our memory on this. Let's just go back and just do a brief survey from scripture about this word temple and what it means. 
Let's just briefly go back. Genesis 3 in Eden, we see there the Lord God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve are there. Why is he there? Why are they there? He's made them to worship him, to glorify him. And he's made them to enjoy him. That he will come near to them and speak to them and fellowship them with them as his created people. And they with him as their gods. The garden was like a temple in which there was worship. God made Eve for Adam. Why? So they could glorify him together. <coughs> Worship and enjoy him together. Eden was like a temple. Let's move on in the Old Testament. God's presence is revealed in the tabernacle. David's taken us through the tabernacle chapters, hasn't he? In, in Exodus uh, and in other places. Um, as well, and we see the glory of God coming to Israel. We see the pictures, the symbols that God was with His people. We see the Ark of the Covenant. We see the blood of the atonement, the forgiveness. We've got the ceremonial law for cleansing because He is a holy God, and we are not holy. We are sinful in and of ourselves. But He comes through the sacrifice and through the blood. When the tabernacle was built, what was the tabernacle called? It was called the place of meeting. As God would draw near to his people. Exodus 40 verse 34 says, Then the cloud of the presence of God covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The presence of God with his people in worship. So they came and they did the ritual sacrifices that he commanded. The Lord was with his people. Later on, as you move through the Old Testament, we see Solomon's temple. Solomon finished the temple and his pray, that amazing prayer. And what happens? The, the, the presence of God comes down into the temple. He consumes the burnt offering, the sacrifices, the glory. The Lord fills the temple. God comes to his people. The priest couldn't enter the house of the Lord because the glory had filled the Lord's house. But they sang out, he is good, his mercy endures forever. In the Gospel of John in the New Testament, we read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He dwelt. You know what that word dwelt means? It means he tabernacled amongst us. The presence of God came down in Jesus Christ. He is the, the temple himself, completely full of the Holy Spirit. God the Son, walking on earth, tabernacling, dwelling amongst God's people. Jesus, the true temple, bringing God's people into his presence. And in the New Testament, we have here, as we close this small survey, 1 Corinthians 3, again we see, you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now he dwells within us individually as believers. It says that in, um, in, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, 
chapter 6 and verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? He dwells within individually, every Christian. But there's a corporate dwelling. That's what he's talking about here in chapter 3. A together, gathered church dwelling by the Spirit. This captures a dynamic for us that we're saved not to be individual temples. We're saved because we're part of a bigger temple. Part of one temple. Of worship. Where God by the Spirit comes. We have a vital relationship with God, but also with each other as the temple. We could go to Ephesians 2, where we're told about the church being a holy temple in the Lord, about being joined together. The New Testament's full of this teaching. What a privilege. The dwelling place, the location of worship, takes place in community. As we gather as a church to worship him. The blessing of the Holy Spirit on us. The presence of the Holy Spirit in worship. We don't need to go to Jerusalem or go to a particular place. Those who worship me will worship in spirit and in truth, Jesus said in John chapter 4. Space and time have no place under the new covenant. God comes As his people come and worship him together. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of you. Matthew chapter 18 verse 20. There I am. There's a promise. There's a promise of a presence there. In a sense, he's always with them. But in a sense as well, he's coming at the gathering for worship. Of his people. So let's apply some of these things to ourselves in this new year as a church as we seek to renew our focus on the Lord Himself. Number of application, firstly, this come to worship God because worship is the pinnacle of the week. Public worship is the pinnacle of your spiritual life of the week. It doesn't mean we don't have personal worship, which is Critical and important. It doesn't mean that family worship isn't important. Of course it is. These are vital for our uh, our spiritual health and well-being. And relationship with God. But as humans, we're wired for worship. But he finds his ultimate fulfillment in the worship of God together. This is where the Lord meets us together. In the preaching of the word of God. In the singing of his praise. In the prayers. In fellowship. God didn't create just a collection of stones randomly scattered around the city. He saves a building. He's designed a building, a temple. To be worshipped. We come to worship because it's the The highest point of our spiritual lives in the week. It's a place of worship. We also come to worship knowing that God wants to meet with us. God wants to meet with us. 
Scripture uses the language of seeking and, and, and finding after him, but it also seeks, uses the language of God seeks us. God wants to meet with us. The tabernacle was the place of meeting. God meeting with his people. What an amazing God he is. Why would he want to meet with us? But he does. Because he loves us. Because he saved us. Because we're the apple of his eye by his grace. I love the text in, in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 where he says to the church there. Jesus says to the church, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens, I will come in with him and, and dine with him and he with me. He's knocking at the door. It's not the church knocking at his door. He's knocking at the door because he wants to come in. He wants to come inside. He wants fellowship with us by his grace because of his love for us. The almighty, infinite, unchangeable God. How we should come with awe and with joy. We come because we want to meet with God and God wants to meet with us. More than we want to meet with him. Because of the sin in our hearts. He loves us. He gave his son to redeem us. That he might have fellowship with us. That he might meet with us and bless us. We come to worship because it's the highest point in the week. We come to worship because he wants to meet with us and he loves us. We come to worship because it's a means of grace. It's a means of grace. What that means is it's a way, a channel in which God blesses us and increases our faith and, and teaches us and unveils his glory before us. And we receive grace upon grace. We grow in our appreciation of God and who he is, of his heart, of his love, of his kindness, of his gifts and blessings and the future that he has for us. We live in an age, the age of the individual, where most of us have got our iPhones. And we can be so individualistic and, and taken up with the world and selfies and self all around us. But the blessing of coming to God in worship is it takes our eyes off ourselves. We switch off the ground. We switch our phones off. We focus entirely on him. We take our eyes off ourselves. We behold our God in his glory in his temple. We can have problems and we do have problems and we... We have anxiety. We have other things that in our lives what we struggle with. But coming together in worship, we, we take our eyes off these things. And so often we leave with a life in better perspective. Because we can come into worship with problems so massive in our lives without God. But we go out looking at them with the eyes that see God as part of this picture. That he will sustain us. Reminded of his promises. Reminded of his boundless love and grace for us. We come to worship because worship is a means of grace to us. It renews our vision. Renews our spiritual energy. 
We meet with his people. It does us good. A few weeks ago, um, after I preached, it wasn't because I preached, I don't think, but somebody said to me, um, coming to the church uh, to worship is like, uh, it's like going to the gym. Okay. It's like going to the gym. You know, you don't feel like going, but when you go sometimes, you feel a lot better because you went. If you go to the gym, you'll know what I mean. But that's, that, sometimes that's how it can be. That sometimes we need to drag ourselves here because our hearts are cold or we don't feel like coming. But when we come, there's a blessing. We feel exercised. Our faith is exercised. Our hearts, we feel rejuvenated and renewed and exercised. As we understand more of God and his word and his salvation and his blessing, we're deepened, we're enriched, we're encouraged. Remember, there's greater things. There are eternal things ahead. So we come to worship. We come to worship. How we should pray more for these things and expect more the Holy Spirit to work amongst us for his glory to bless and enrich us. We teach our children the importance of coming. Do they see us anticipating and wanting to come and, and, and longing to hear and praying, as it were, for the public gathering? Thanking God for the temple, thanking God for the Holy Spirit. Well, I trust that we do. I trust that we do. In this new year, let's refocus. We are the temple of the living God. The temple is for worship. What else is the temple for? Secondly, the temple is holy. That's what else we can learn about it. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Holy. You might say, I don't feel very holy. Well, that's not the holiness it's talking about. The holiness it's talking about here, Paul is talking about, is what's called, technical term, definitive sanctification. Or you could call it connection holiness. Yeah, when we, we believe in Jesus Christ, when we're saved, when we're forgiven, our sins are cleansed, we're enjoined to Jesus Christ by faith, and the righteousness of Christ is given to us as a gift. The righteous life of Jesus is given to us, and we are righteous in our standing before God. But not only that, we are also sanctified. Sanctified is a one-off event, sanctified. Made holy, made holy. Acts chapter 26 verse 18 says this. This is about the gospel preaching of the apostles. It said, we were sent to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. There is a sanctification that we receive, which is a one-off thing, like righteousness, like forgiveness, like adoption. There's a position, a status, a standing. And in chapter 1 of Corinthians, he's writing to those who are called to be saints, who are holy. That's the same thing. It's this connection holiness, or this definitive holiness, or definitive sanctification. But we're holy in the eyes of God. In our standing, as it were. Not our inside hearts. We'll talk about that in a minute. But in our standing. But the question is, 
For you, this morning, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Do you have this forgiveness? Do you have this righteousness? Do you have this holiness in your life? You know, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to save you. He came to save and to, to put his arms around everyone who would come to him. He longs that you would come to him. He pleads with you through the word of God to come to him, to believe in him. You think of the cost and the sacrifice that he came. It just displays the glories of his love for sinners like you and me. He longs to give you his righteousness. He longs to give you this holiness. So before God you'll be holy. No sin. No longer condemned. Pure and righteous in his eyes. God's possession. To be part of this temple. Is it you? He says, believe in me. Trust me. Give your hearts to me. Confess your sins to me. Reach out to me in faith. Believe in me. Depend on me. Receive me as your saviour. So the temple of God is holy. It's holy. That's our standing before God. The standing before God. But holy... Temple means holy living as well, doesn't it? Holy temple means holy living. If that's what we are before God, Christ has given us this, this one-off state of holiness. Why? Because he wants us to work at that holiness within our hearts. He wants our hearts to be changed. He wants us to be holy like he is holy. Have the privilege of being set aside from Rolls-Royce through the work of preaching and serving and encouraging and enriching the church of Jesus Christ. But in a sense, all of us are set aside. We've all been set apart for God, every believer. The temple is holy, set aside from the world, separated from the world. You are separated from the world in your life to serve God's. Just like the, 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 the utensils in the temple were set aside and, and, and made holy. You have been made holy. But we're to live holy because he's made us holy. The temple was devoted to God, consecrated to God, sacred to God. And that is how we are to live in the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. To live holy lives before him, consistent that we are a holy temple of the living gods. That means holy eyes. That means holy hands. That means holy minds. It means holy lips and speech. So much in the New Testament about speech, isn't there? Ephesians 4, where it speaks about not grieving the Holy Spirit. The context there is sins of the tongue. James talks about the tongue. Sometimes we say unholy things, don't we? We can say unholy things. Things that don't please God. Things that are inconsistent with what God has made us in Christ. 
the blessings he's given us in Christ. That was his holy speech. Do you remember Isaiah in the temple in Isaiah 6? You know, when he saw the glory of the Lord, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Yeah, and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. May our lips be sanctified. Not that we just talk the Bible all the time, but that this words pleasing to God, wholesome, gracious, kind words. Holy eyes, holy hands, holy minds, holy speech. It's a new year. May God help us. Set on the path. Set down the path again of holiness. The temple is holy. Thirdly and finally, the temple is one. And this is perhaps what Paul is, is getting at. And this is our application as we draw to a close. Do you not know you are the temple of God? The spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. This is the ultimate argument for unity of the church. At Corinth, there weren't two temples. Yeah, there was one temple. Not scattered stones, not broken down temple, but one temple that belongs to God. It's the temple of God. We belong to God. And this this is it where it's a rebuke against those who were creating factions in the church, those who were following a leader, those who were seeking to sort of have one up on another group, as you were thought they were the super spiritual uh, grouping within the church and despised others. He's saying, no, it's not about groupings, it's not about factions, it's about what God has done in your lives. You are a temple, you are to worship together, you are holy, made holy in Christ, you are one temple. Built on one foundation, which is Jesus Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit is to be evident amongst you. Not division. Unity. It's a very, very stark warning here in verse 17, isn't there? If anyone defiles the temple of God or destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. What a warning that is. Such a serious warning to the church. The word defile means destroy. It's the same word in, in the verse for both of those. What a somber warning against division. What a somber warning that we take care of the church, the unity and oneness of the church, the local church. So, how is this oneness expressed? Well, it's oneness across the membership. And the church offices. Yeah, so there's no distinction here, is it? It's a temple. Everyone is one in Christ. No matter what our role in the church is. We are all one. Yeah, the spirit of God dwells within our hearts individually. But corporately. As well, every single one of us. We are to serve. You know, the church doesn't belong to the elders. It doesn't. It belongs to Jesus Christ. It belongs to God. It's his temple. We all belong to him. Every single one of us, no matter what our role in the church. We're set aside. We are made holy for the good of the whole. In the eldership, we're, we're different. We've got different gifts. We're to be one. Working together, serving the church to glorify God. 
There is plurality. There is parity. There is equality amongst us. We've got different gifts. But there's collective wisdom in that. That's God's design. And with the deacons and with the membership, together we serve, we worship. We are the same kind. We're on the same team. We've got the same Lord. We've got the same salvation. We're part of the same building. We're one. Oneness across right through the church. Oneness in spite of being very different from one another as well. Yeah, we are different, aren't we? Different backgrounds, we speak differently, we dress differently, we live in different places, we've got different backgrounds, different personality quirks. We've all, yeah, speaking of myself now, you know, we can rub one another up the wrong way. Some, some could prioritise truth over love, some could prioritise love over truth. Those who prioritise truth can be, as it were, critical of others, and those who prioritise love can, can be, as it were, slack and not give the priority right to truth. God's put us together. Why? To offset one another. To learn from each other. To build each other up. As part of the oneness of the church. To enrich it for its own health. That will grow in sanctification together. Prize love and truth. Very different from one another. Pray for an openness. In this new year, an openness amongst us. Pray for us who have different cultural barriers that will be overcome every time. Language barriers, background barriers, but a oneness amongst us. Because together we are the temple of God. Loving and serving one another. Oneness across the membership and across the church. Oneness in spite of being very different from one another. And oneness finally because we're all holy in Christ. We're all joined to Jesus Christ. We show grace to one another. And show kindness to one another. And look past sometimes one another's faults. Which there can be. in forgiving one another and showing one another grace. Why? Because that person, that other believer is just as much part of that temple. God's temple as you are. And as I am. We're all part of it together, forgiven sinners, flawed, feeble, weak sinners, but by the grace of God being built into the temple of the living God where the Spirit of God dwells amongst us. What a wonderful blessing. His presence, His grace. We are His people. We are not our own. From heaven He came. And sought her to be his holy bride. And by his own blood he bought her. For her life he died. In this new year let's guard jealously the unity of the church. The oneness of the church. The church, the temples for worship. The temple is holy. The temple is one. Let's pray For the maintenance of unity. Let's pray going forward that God will lead us on. Let's worship and adore and glorify our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Who loved us and gave himself for us. And we built up in our faith in him in this new year. And pray for these things.
What a wonderful privilege then. Let's preserve the unity of the church by grace and rejoice. It's diversity and in unity for his glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for these truths and we pray that you would continue to edify us through your word, that you would build us up in faith. We thank you for those promises in your word that where two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst. We thank you that as a church this morning, we are the temple of the living God. The spirit of God dwells here. We pray that we might not grieve the spirit in our hearts and we pray that you might help us to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Bless us then, we pray. Bless your word to our hearts. Bless us as we sing. Bless us as we worship. Bless us in our homes. Be with us, we pray, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.